Working Fans Podcast. Cool. Yep. All right, here we go. Coming down three, two. For another week of the Working Fans Podcast, this is AJ, I'm the former wrestler, we've got Dave the Ultimate Fan here with us, as we do every week, our producer Joe may, likes to make us sound good and makes us look way more professional than we actually are. As always, you can find us on Twitter, that's at FansWorking, Facebook, Working Fans Pod, we've got email where you can reach out to us and please contact us to let us know what you think of the podcast, and for any ideas that you might have, that's workingfanswrestlingpod at gmail.com. We're on Instagram, where you can keep up with us at workingfanswrestling underscore pod. And then you can now listen to us on all major platforms, including anchor.fm, we're on Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Casts, Radio Public, Apple Podcasts, and you can actually check us out on YouTube. Now, it's important when you go onto the Apple Podcasts and YouTube, hit that subscribe button, give us a rating, let us know what you think so you can help us out and we can continue to do what we love and bring you guys in as fans. Fans, welcome back. We are going to talk a quick segment on Dark Side of the Ring and A&E Biography All-Stars. Because mm. Dave, even though... Dark Side of the Ring obviously has mostly dark stories. Yeah. And A&E biography, it could go either way, it seems, right now. Right. It seems like both of these shows had almost unintended heroes that have come out of it or success stories that could come from it. Absolutely. In particular, the dark side. I mean, I think Conrad talked about this, obviously, so I'm not trying to jack his style or anything. But I think it was a great point. Maybe a lot of other people noticed it, too. But Brian Pillman Jr. came off as, like, this ultimate baby face, this kid you just wanted to root for. And and then, you know, Nick Gage, too. I think even though there's certain section of the audience that's going to shit on anything deathmatch wrestling. But to me, not even a big follower of deathmatch wrestling. I watch it. I hear this guy's story. And I hear a guy who's had his struggles. And I'm thinking, he. I want, I want him to do well. I want him to be a bigger star. I want, like, I heard him in Moxley did another angle over the weekend as we recorded this. And they got into it at GCW. And I'm like, awesome. Like, great. I hope he gets more of the rub. I hope we see more of this guy. And in a weird way, maybe Dark Side of the Ring might end up launching some wrestlers and actually help get people over. Yeah, well, what's good with Pillman Jr. is he had a couple years in MLW, like, from the start, where he could kind of get his game together. And now he's been getting bigger showings on AEW. Mm-hmm. And after that, I mean, tonight, as we tape this on 519 tonight, him and Griff Garrison are going up against the Young Bucks for the tag championships. And that's a big step because he's been doing a lot of AEW dark, making up a lot of those lower card shows. And now mm-hmm. he's finally getting that bigger stage. And like you said, that show helps his stock that much more. And Julia Hart, I believe her name is, has been out with them on Dark a few times now. She's kind of like the cheerleader doing the whole varsity Lons gimmick. I think it's great. I love the package. I think he will outgrow it at some point. And it'll be something. It's funny because I said he's kind of the ultimate baby face. But then again, it's like, boy, could you just see him turning on Griff Garrison? Which, segue, A&E biographies. Unintended segue. I did that here. <laughs> what about, I mean, this wasn't really launching a superstar, but looking at tag team partners, the superstar of the past. It might have destroyed a man. 
It might have destroyed a man, yes. <laughs> the most famous tag team breakup of all time, of course, Marty Jannetty and HBK. Yeah, I can't say that really any biographies, because they've been done so far on, like, just wrestlers of the past, and almost all of them have been celebratory. But I have to say, though, this HBK one, I think, was my favorite so far. Like, HBK was pretty open about all his shit. Like, like you know, they gave us the option to take the 100 bucks and $50 and the other 50 and blow. And nine times out of 10, I took the $50 and the $50 and blow. Like, he was like, this is it. I was messed up. And how is it, like, interesting, right, to hear a wrestler or a performer basically say that I don't know if I would have been as good in that time period of my life, though, if I didn't do some of the things I did and have that edge. Oh, wow. Yeah, see, I still haven't watched well, it yet. It's I'm hitting it's you some on, stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's been on the watch list, but mm. you know, it is wild to hear him be that open about mm -hmm. it. And you said there was a lot of Janetti in that as well, right? Yeah, Janetti looks super like to me. I haven't made people comment on this, but to me, he looks super down. Like there were points in the episode where he's like, I told him, you know, I know you want to go for the belt, world belt. All right, that's news to me, but just don't just don't jump it on me, man. Don't put it on me all of a sudden. You know, let's let's you know get some time here and he just dropped it on me. <laughs> then Marty just kind of looks down. <laughs> yeah. Like he's an old man looking at the window and his life gone by. I know one time we saw him at a signing and he was talking to us, telling us how when he first met Sean, like Sean was looking up to him as the bigger star. Sure. That's a, that's addressed here. That is. And that's wild that the, tail, the scales have tipped so grandly. And actually there is a point in this documentary too, where even Sean talks about Marty said, to him, there's something that's trying to get out of you. And I don't know what it is, but I'm going to help. <laughs> and Sean's like, he did. <laughs> and, you know, and they're very honest, good, good with the bad. Again, Marty brought that partier lifestyle out of him, which Marty admits he did too. And, but Sean yeah, also admits. It's still on Facebook now, sadly. Well, yeah, Marty, Marty hasn't. Yeah, that's unfortunate for Marty, but he hasn't changed anything. Marty hasn't grown. Sean, you will see out of this, has definitely grown as a person, leaps and bounds. Even from John Pollock talked about this on Post Wrestling, but when you read Sean's book years ago, and this is going back maybe over a decade ago, but he comes off kind of like, yeah, I did this stuff, but this was why so-and-so. Whereas now it's like he just owns it completely. Like, yeah, I was messed up. And there's even one point where it's really just – like to the bone where he's talking about he's passed out unconscious and his two-year-old son is like, oh, daddy's tired again. Daddy's tired again. And he's like, I'm letting down this two-year-old. I am letting down my two-year-old son. And you can just see like it just, it was a moment that really kind of changed his life at that point, I think, having a kid. Pollock, again, I'll quote another wrestling podcast. He had a very interesting take on it. I'd love to ask if I ever had to, you know, opportunity to interview Shawn Michaels, I'd love to ask him this, but like, there's almost a comparison that he was on the path that Brian Pillman Sr. was on. That, you know, he was hardcore doing drugs. And if you look at the Pillman documentary where he's offended that Jim Ross wants to ask him for a drug test, Pillman is almost saying, you got other people here too. Why are you, you singling me out? And clearly, you know, you're probably thinking about Sean as one of those guys. And yeah, I'd, I'd love that. I'd love to ask Sean. I'm just curious that in a way that the career ending back injury that took him out for. Well, it wasn't a career ending, but took him out for three, four years. In a way, did it save his life? You know, he was 32, year old, 32 years old the first time he walked away. Did that save his life? Was he on a bad track that, I mean, there were times Hunter in this episode, and Joe, I know you haven't seen it, Hunter in this episode talks about that there'd be times he'd go up to the hotel or something just to watch, make sure Sean isn't going to drop dead. So, yeah. I mean, how bad was that, you know?
Yeah, because if you consider the schedule of the guy on top, they don't get a lot of time off. They have to make so right. many dates, and you don't get guaranteed money in the WWF at that time. You have oh. to have your spot, and you have to be pulling in the money to, to live that top-level lifestyle. And, you know, it's been noted over the years just how important that was to Sean that, oh, yeah. I mean, his relationship with Bret Hart was hurt with it over the mm -hmm. years. It pushed him away from a lot of people. Yeah, great documentary too. One thing I also liked, and this was addressed to another podcast, but they didn't focus way too much on the Montreal screw job. Like for those hardcore fans like us, it was most like it was discussed, but maybe five, six minutes, and then we moved on to the next element of his career. And one thing about this thicker biography too, it was broken down in almost segments, like, you know, chapter one, like making his way, you know, chapter two. Like so it was broken down almost to have a little preview before each scene was about to start like of a new chapter. So, okay. I mean, five minutes even on the screw job sounds like too much, but you don't sound bothered by it. And I mean, we've been inundated with screw job talk and there's always a huge segment or episode that seems to come out about it. So it's nice mm -hmm. to not five minutes it. in a two hour. Don't forget. These are two hour episodes. Oh, too. I didn't realize it was two hours. I thought it was. Yeah. No, no, no. All the A&E ones have been two hours. So, oh, wow. Yeah. I haven't really watched them. If you can't yeah. tell did you watch you would you just watch the Austin one or did you see Piper? I there? saw part of Austin and I saw Piper. Okay. And you like Piper the best out of those two or Yeah, that was good. Yeah, I mean my... these don't really do anything for me. Mm -hmm. Partly it's WWE produced. It's also biography, so I, I don't know. I'm not terrified. You're not a fan of biography of stuff, yeah. No, not like maybe if documentary footage more with some match talk, but like mm -hmm. The A and E thing between that and that treasure show they have, I AJ likes that. I think that's complete trash. I, I do not like the treasure. The treasure show is too much of that fluffy, fake as shit reality TV. Okay, so oh, that yeah. seems farther off the deep end than this show because I almost consider the two things like in the same no. batch. Where it's no, not at all. But it, uh, the A and E biographies probably aren't as gritty. But I will say this: the HBK one. A little bit the Booker T one, too. I know you haven't seen that one, but especially the HBK one. There's definitely a more gritty vibe to them. This is probably as close to Dark Side. As, well, we'll see the Warrior one next week. Yeah. But this is as close as the Dark Side as we'll probably get. Because ultimately, Sean does have a redemption story. So it's not yeah. like... Even I kind of want to see it for Jannetty, personally. Yeah, it was kind of why I dropped some of that stuff on you. Because I know you weren't a big fan of this, but I like... There's certain aspects... This is a little thing about me. If I know my friends don't watch something, I won't bother you with shit I know you don't like, but I like to tell you about like, oh, if he watched this, I know he'd probably like that. Yeah, so, hit like, the hook. Yeah, and I just, yeah, so that's what kind of what this is. I just think that, um, man, if you're going to like a documentary they did so far, I think HBK will be the one to check out. All right, so Brian Pillman Jr., Nick Gage, obvious heroes of the dark side of the ring. Yeah. Sean obviously comes out good out of the biography. Sure. I think Paper does too because people that aren't as familiar with wrestling, mm -hmm. they'll find out he's more of a family man and how important family played a role in his life. And hey, since we were trying to kind of tell people that, hey, maybe young people to check out, his daughter is involved in wrestling. Teal Piper is part of SWE Fury right now. She's been managing, and I think she's going to have a Teal's Pit or something like that. I mean, yeah, okay. it's going to be like, obviously they're trying to, Use her father's name, but I think that's cool. I mean, it's this idea that she's in the business, and some it sounds of the like she's taking the Pillman Jr. route too, and not 
cashing in on the name and trying to go as big as possible, like no from the ground up. And like MLW, SWE Fury is a great place to learn because you have people working there like Kevin Sullivan, you know, Teddy Long, James Beard, who's been in the world class days, and excuse me, all these people that come in and out of there, like Mark Henry now, and on the female side, former guest jazz and people like um Miranda uh, Gordy's Rose, there, Lacey Von. Yeah, Ro- Rosemary uh, pops in there from time to time too. There's so much great talent going in and out of there. Uh, Tim Storm, another one that it's a great place for her to learn. And I hope that, um, man, I hope she uh, does well there. Nice. So obviously Shawn Michaels is probably the star of his own biography. I mean, he has to be anyway. I mean, now Amy and Amy Marty, sorry, Amy, the biography. I don't know. How would you describe the dark side on it? Is it unintended? Because I think it really came to the front with the macho man one. A lot of people were unhappy with that. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'm personally waiting there. to see how they handle the warrior. Mm-hmm. Cause then that'll give me a gauge on how they're treating these subjects. Yeah. I, I don't think honestly, cause I've watched them all. I don't think there's really a consistency in them. I think you might find one. You'll really like another one. You might hate another one. You might love another one. It's just up to you if you're interested in that subject or you can just let me tell you what I think about it. Cause it's a fucking crap shoot. Like I do not find there's a good, See, Austin, the- yeah, it was probably like uh next to Savage, which everybody thought was okay. It was like kind of my least favorite. I just didn't think it was in depth enough looking back. Yeah. And I don't know, I guess, I'm just trying to find a reason to like it, and that inconsistency kind of kills it for me. Like, yeah. if there were a consistent storytelling voice behind it it's and not. just focusing its lens on different people, that'd be interesting. You can't either because they, they have a different executive producer for all of them, from what I understand. So, like, what the heck? I mean, you're going to have this different vibe. But Pollock brought an interesting point, too. He said that, like, if it wasn't Vince McMahon, like, he's been kind of underwhelming in this. Like, you got Vince McMahon, but it seems like almost like like, if it wasn't Vince McMahon, you could probably cut him from this. Like, we almost don't need him. He hasn't had, brought anything, like, crazy. There was a line, though, where Vince did say something in this HBK one where Sean's father was actually coming to see him. And Vince told him flat out, um, just so you know, Sean has a drug problem. And Vince said, he didn't want to hear that. It's <laughs> like, I would have liked to have been a fly on the wall on that. Sean's father was, like, a uh, former military guy, too. So just... You imagine two alphas and you tell his son, like, he's got a drug problem. <laughs> yeah, and think how crazy that is that Vince knows it, but for whatever time he's allowing it to exist or as Vince go said in episode, unchecked. As Vince said in the episode, he was safe here, but when he got out in public, it was when he was in danger, <laughs> which is so wild because that is like, like, look, man, we're making a ton of money off this motherfucker. Yeah, he's safe <laughs> as long as we can keep him aligned, but. Mm-hmm. Think about that. I, how many people have died under that same attitude? Did yeah. Pittman die because of that? Did it happen to Benoit because of mm-hmm. that? Like that's the whole that's just the that narrow business. view. Yeah. yeah, just that narrow view of he's safer here. Like mm-hmm. what is safer here? He's safer to coexist with this issue. Yeah. And for people listening too, I'm not taking shot. WWE gets a lot of flack because they're the they're the ones that have been around forever and stuff like that, but. A lot of people died in that ECW locker room we all love so much. <laughs> Listen to the insane clown posse. They'll tell you, like, they ask you about the drug testing policy. And it was like, WWE had some. WCW was a joke. And ECW? He's like, they were fucking doing the shit right in the fucking... As soon as you walked through the door. <laughs> yep. And, I mean, think about 
it, it's happened before WWE, so we're not yeah. putting it squarely on them, but no. it's just that thought, like just that way of thinking that they're safer here. Yeah. That yeah, they, and I think a lot of that attitude has changed. I think that shit I don't think would ever fucking fly now. You know, I mean, I think Jericho said it before too. Like, that is not the same thing, but like the screw job that wouldn't happen now. Like Vince would just tell you you're doing the job, and that'd be the end of it. But it was a different time period in the wrestling business, and certainly. Hey. That shit wouldn't happen with Tony Khan. I don't. Yeah, think. and if they thought you were a wild card, they wouldn't let you be holding the belt in a spot that you couldn't take it away from them. Not anymore. But isn't this funny, Joe? Isn't it like we like, like go back to what Sean said? How he needed a little bit of that craziness to do as good as he did. And isn't it funny? As much as I don't want to see us go back to that, and I don't want it to happen. The bit, the business on at least a major level almost feels a little too sanitized at times. You know what I mean? Like you miss a few like wild personalities. But oh yeah, there's. That's why I like things like MLW, SWE, Fury, people that present wrestling in a, a grittier way. Yeah. And you would hope that people are safer. Yeah. Yeah. I, mean, I think just because the, the lifestyles have changed a lot, too. Yeah. I was going to say the wrestling business is the wrestling business. Mm-hmm. In the end, they are independent contractors. So I don't know how much these bosses have to look out for the lives under them. But thank God things have come as far as they have, and we're losing fewer people nowadays. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think that's a good way to end this segment on, too. Yes, sir. So, everybody, thank you for joining us this week. Do you remember Lance Von Erich from World Class Championship Wrestling? You can read all about his wrestling career in Portland, in Dallas, and overseas in his new book, Lance by Chance, Wrestling as a Von Erich. 25 chapters in all. You'll be surprised what you read. Go to LanceByChance.com. It's the Working Fans Podcast with the man they call Dave and AJ Strange Brew. And today's topic, we're doing the top five Iron Anderson match. What did Rick Fraser always like to say? Double A, what's causing all this? And, you know, I mean, I think that's the thing, right? Like, Iron was like Ric Flair's main man for many, many years. He was, absolutely you know, the, the Well, the Iron Anderson, you know, great TV champion, probably maybe the best TV champion of all time. Maybe one of the best uh, most tag consistent. The thing about the TV belt is, is you had to be able to anchor the show every week. You were going to be on every week having to wrestle, and you were going to have to have at least a 10-minute match every week to really get it done and iron anderson delivered each and every week which is what makes it hard to really have a top five for iron anderson Mm -hmm. is just the sheer number of matches that iron has wrestled throughout the years. oh it's crazy i mean but i was even one of the best tag wrestlers of all time look he's been champs with sabisco bobby eaton ole anderson tully blanchard and that doesn't even count his he had great he teamed up and had great matches with barry windham and rick flair too like iron anderson is one of the best tag team wrestlers of all time He's been, you know, the enforcer of the four horsemen. And like you said, he's probably the greatest TV champion of all time. And yeah, so so it can be definitely very hard to limit in this Anderson. one down. I think we're gonna have some good ones. I'm gonna start off. Well, actually, I'll let you start off. You got an extra list in me, I believe. So uh, absolutely, let's take a look here real quick. Here we're gonna start off with Mike. Don't call me Huckleberry Finn. It's his new nickname. I'm not afraid to keep using that line. That's nope. damn sure. <laughs> he's gonna try to get it over. <laughs> Absolutely. Before long, people are going to be calling him that. Oh, I'm sure. Especially there if I go. keep no selling it. I'll help you out with this. All right. So we've got double A's list here. We've got Flair from Fall Flair. Brawl 1995. Okay, yep. Dusty Rhodes NWA TV title match from 1986. Mm. 
Regal at Super Brawl 4 because they just beat the shit out of each other. Great Muda. This, to me, is one of the best matches on this list, to be honest with you. Mm -hmm. This was a TV match, but they just tore each other up. Yeah, CW Um, Power Hour, I believe, Friday night. That's what I think it happened. But anyway, go ahead. Yeah, and then you've got Brian Pillman from 1995 from Saturday Night's Main Event. You got to see both of them in a... Huh? Oh, you mean WCW Saturday Night? I mean, Saturday Night. Yeah, yeah. sorry. WCW Saturday Night. <laughs> sorry, my bad. <laughs> a little behind the scenes here. We were just talking about some matches on another show right before we taped this. And yep. there were a lot of Saturday Night's main events right, on that. Right. So I think that got programmed into my head. This <laughs> says <laughs> from WCW Saturday Night, Pillman versus Iron Anderson from 1995. Yeah, all great matches. Yeah, I, I forgot about that Regal one. You know, that's one I'd like to almost go back and watch just because of their two styles. They they literally just beat the crap out of each other. I'm sure. I'm sure. That had to be for a TV title, I'm guessing, too. No, because yeah. Regal was another one who, you know, really did what he could. Uh, if I remember that one correctly, Regal was actually the, the TV champ Yeah, at that time and not Iron. I believe so. And I think Sir William, known as Bill Dundee, might have used yeah. the umbrella to help Regal on that. But I'm not sure. I have to go back and watch it. I got Mike Cadwell, also known as Mikey and Fred. He messages all the time. He's a worker, by the way. He's got Iron Anderson and Larry Zabisco versus Dustin Rhodes and Ricky Steamboat from Clash 17. I'm going to add a little this, too. This is originally supposed to be Barry Windham and Dustin Rhodes. And Barry hurts his hand for real. And out comes this guy. <laughs> In a dragon costume, who's the mystery partner? And everyone had, I was like, who could this be? And I'm thinking, like, hmm. And then I think Shivani or someone said, you gotta wonder, maybe someone from Japan with a costume like that, or it ends up being Ricky the Dragon Steamboat. <laughs> and they have, first off, Sabisco and Iron are pissed. They're selling this like. We did not expect Steamboat here. This was not the caliber of, you know, athlete we were expecting today. Yeah, we weren't expecting the former world's champion to... Sure. And they had, I want to say, a 35 to 45-minute classic where Steamboat and Dustin started off tearing them up, and then very eventually Iron and Larry get the advantage. They slow it down. They beat the crap out of them. They both... There's, like, multiple hot tags. And at the end, Steamboat and Dustin... New tag team champions. One of the best tag matches you'll see. Mike also has Lex Luger and Barry Windham versus Iron Anderson and Tully Blanchard from Flash 1. Iron versus Flair, Fall Brawl 95. I mean, this is where Iron beats Ric Flair. And I think it's the only singles match they've ever had. So to me, that's just... How do you not put that in there? Such an important match. Hillman, I believe, gets the interference in here, kicks Flair in the back of his head, and Iron Anderson catches him with the DDT. He does. He goes up on the ropes and actually swings his feet up and kicks him in the back of the head with the Right, after Iron punched him and they didn't realize he was still, yeah. Iron, again, now we got Iron versus Regal, Super Brawl, and Iron versus Johnny B. Bad, Starcade 94. I want to say Iron wins title back at that one. Man, just some good stuff right there. Just talking about that, that match with Sabisco. Defending the tag belts and his match with Flair. I know that match with Flair, Iron talks about one of the matches that I think he was most nervous about in his career. That yeah. when he talks about it on TV, it was a shoot. Like he literally like threw Yeah, up. he says he was throwing up before the match. Yeah, that's incredible. <laughs> so. Yeah, that's uh, he says he doesn't get he didn't get nervous before many of his matches, but he's actually throwing up before that match. He couldn't believe that he was going over Rick and that he didn't want to let Rick down with the quality of the match. Yeah. Which is insane considering how good Iron Anderson is. Now you make me think about that speech when Iron retires and he does that line where he says, 
other than be the enforcer in front of my best friend's eyes, I know it's time to go. And I just think that says a lot about how Iron and Rick's relationship at that time, what it meant to him. Yeah, and obviously meant a lot to the wrestling world also. <laughs> I got Jesse from New Hampshire. Hmm. I, we've got the Dangerous Alliance versus the Sting Squadron from War Games. Yes. Iron obviously put on a good show in that one. Iron versus Bobby Eaton. Talk about great wrestlers that have been somewhat forgotten. Mm-hmm. Bobby Eaton actually could tear the house down. Sad that he couldn't talk unlike he had marbles in his mouth. Bobby Eaton was every bit a great tag wrestler, if not more than Iron. One of the best tag wrestlers of all time. However, not the best promo like Iron. <laughs> yeah, un- unfortunately, Iron promo, un- yeah. Unfortunately, I believe he was from Hicksville, from Alabama, and that didn't help him with his talking. Huntsville, maybe, but yes. Uh, oh, sorry, Huntsville, Huntsville. Yes. Iron Anderson versus Hogan, Nitro 96. Again, <laughs> put that up to the, go back to the Ric Flair match that we just had our list. Iron Anderson pinned Hulk Hogan. Yeah. Who saw that coming? You know, I mean, it was a time where Hogan didn't have the belt, and they put Iron over him. I think it was a shoot of the eye and a spine buster, but whatever. It was unbelievable. So Yeah, how, ma- how many people have pinned both Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair in the middle of the ring. And never been a world champion. Never been a world champion. It's amazing. Yeah. Brain Busters versus Strike Force, WrestleMania 5. This is a textbook match. If you ever want to see how to work a tag match with emotion, with just great wrestling, go back, watch this. Once again, we've talked about forgotten stuff. One of the great things about doing these 5 3 ones mm-hmm. is getting to relive the memories. Right. And this is a tag match that we don't talk about often. And maybe this is the we one- should. This is the one where Rick Martel ends up turning on Tito, I believe, too, right? Yes. It's like the big tag. Because Martel had been out with the concussion from demolition, and now we come back, and it's the big one. And there's like a miscommunication. And Martel, I can't remember if he just leaves him or what. but this is uh, He walks one. out. Yeah, he did walk out. Okay. He, he turns on him a couple, like a week later on the show. And which launches the career of. But he literally just walks out. There's launched the call of Rick Martel. And then here's one that we don't talk about at all because I think most of us have forgotten it. Iron Anderson versus Manny Fernandez, the whole freaking feud. I, when I got this text yesterday and I got this message in, I went back and I looked it up because I didn't remember a Manny versus Iron Anderson feud. And let me tell you something, go watch it because they beat the living crap out of each other. Manny Fernandez was one of those characters from the 1980s and Mm. 70s who the raging bull just scar tissue all over his forehead. Every mm-hmm. match was a bloodbath. And these matches aren't any different. Right, right. And that's funny because Jesse's one of the younger ones here too. So you know he's coming back and he's watching the tapes and stuff on YouTube or the network or whatever. So that's pretty cool that he found that. So awesome. Absolutely. And that wraps it up for Jesse. All right. So uh, I'll just go ahead and give us another one actually since I think you have an extra one this week. All right. As you know... The other person that I have is I have Mrs. St. John's favorite baby boy, Zach St. John. Bless his heart. And we've got Aaron Anderson with Terry Funk versus Bobby Eaton and Sabu. Oh, ECW. Um, Worlds Collide, ECW, 1994. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a hell of a match. Yeah, because it was so cool that that was happening. Iron and Flair versus the Hollywood Blondes. This is the match that really gets over the Hollywood Blondes, Steve Austin Mm -hmm. and Brian Pillman, and gets over their chemistry and the way they come out and they're insulting Iron and Flair, and then they tore the house down in the ring also. Although, 
It's also the match that gets the Hollywood Blondes into trouble because the ratings weren't quite where WCW wanted them. So it was they blame the Blondes. The blondes. Fault. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, um, that was also the flair for the old segment too, right before that, where they did, and Austin and Pillman just ran them down, and they were so good. And you can see Austin could talk back then too. So it's so crazy that you know eventually WCW would let him go, and like, oh, this guy can't really talk, and like. He was just coming up with, you know, zing after zing and that. Oh, that was so good. Yeah, obviously WCW's heads had their, were straight up their ass when it came mm-hmm. to Steve Austin. Versus Flair, Slamboree 95. Oh, yep, yeah. okay. Another one we talked about. Very good. The War Games 92. Yep, yeah, another classic. And then Strike Force WrestleMania 5 made it again. Made it again! Wow! <laughs> My goodness. All right. Well... That's interesting. Let's see. Let's see what Scott brings to the table here. He's got Wrestle War '92 as well. Oh wow! Look at this. He's also got Iron and Terry versus uh, Bobby and Sabu from ECW Worlds Collide. Great American Bash '87. The Horseman versus Dusty. The Road Warrior, Nikita and Ellering. I believe that's the, so. That's the original War Games. This is the one where JJ hurts his shoulder. That basically ends his wrestling career. Yeah. And then we got the Minnesota Wrecking Crew. That's Ole and Iron. Versus the Rock and Roll Express, Starcade 86, Steel Cage match. And then the Brain Busters versus the Rockers, January 1989 at MSG. AJ, I have to say, when you look at, like, I think underrated tag teams that never got the belts, the Rockers are just tremendous. They were the, you know, the version of the Rock and Roll Express up in the Northeast. Whether or AWA, whatever, you know, they, they were just awesome. AWA, yeah, they were the champs in the AWA. They were. Was the Midnight Rockers. They were. That's, that's true. And and they were the champs until the ropes broke in WWE. decided not to air that. Yes. yes. <laughs> but their chemistry with Tully and Iron and Brain Buster was just off the page. Absolutely. All right. So if you want, I'll go first this time. Let you go main event. That's the... Well, we do have I, other, no, actually, no, hold on. I got, got Randy Oscar. No, go. Randy Oscar. Yeah. Randy oscar has got a list here. Our boy. He's got Ric Flair, WCW Fall Brawl 95. Steven Regal. WCW Super Brawl, 94. Anderson and Be Bad for the WCW TV title, Starcade 94. Anderson versus Dustin Rhodes, Halloween Havoc, 94. Mm. And Iron Anderson versus Barry Windham for the NWA World title, WCW Slamboree, 93. Now, that's a very solid list, Randy. That's As we know, Randy's got the best taste in wrestlers. <laughs> Um, I, um, right. I don't know about that. But anyway, continuing on, uh, you wanted to go next? Go ahead. Let's see what you got here. Absolutely. I also have the um, Regal versus Iron Anderson match on my list. That was just a hell of a slobber knocker. They literally beat the crap out of each other. That, to me, was the epitome of what you saw from Iron Anderson. I've got Iron Anderson and, and the Brain Busters versus, with him and Tully versus Strike Force WrestleMania Five. I think that did a great job of showing the how emotional it was. I do not have Iron versus Hogan because I think Hogan sucked in that match. <laughs> I do have Iron versus Flair, though. I thought that was sure. a great storyline. <laughs> I think the two of them tore it down. I also have Iron Anderson, and this is actually a match from Smoky Mountain. Oh. He comes in, and he actually helps the Rock and Roll Express. In their mm-hmm. feud down there, <laughs> like Bobby, so this was also Bobby Ian, was it? Yeah, it was, was Bobby Ian and the uh, um, Heavenly Bodies, I believe. Which I think was Stan Cor- it might have been Stan Laney that time, and Tom uh, Tom Pritchard, and, or maybe Del Rey. I'm not sure. There I think it was Del Rey, if yeah. I remember correctly. It was Del Rey at that point. 
but nonetheless it was just a hell of a storyline and they end up having a six-man match Mm -hmm. and the match actually tears the house down people were hanging from the rafters going bananas iron came in under a sheet (laughs) and my number five match for iron anderson is actually him early in his career he was wrestling in pensacola and he wrestles mr wrestling too and it's just a hell of a match from 1983 and the two of them tear it up. He had just come out of his, him. Iron was actually wrestling as Mr. Olympia, came out of that and started wrestling as Marty yeah. Lund, and, which is his real actual name. Sure, sure. And it, it was just a hell of a match. I, uh, I have to check that out. I, um, well, I have for my list, and then we'll, we'll, we're going to have trouble picking final three, so that's why I want to just get this going here. I, I got Iron versus Hogan just because it was such a huge win for Iron. I got Iron and Flair basically for the same reason. Big win. War Games, Dangerous Alliance, Dangerous Alliance versus Sting, Squ- ah, Sting Squadron. Because, again, that's one of my favorite War Games of all time from 92. I, like Flynn, also have Iron versus Muda for the title. I watched that as a young man and Iron Anderson working as a babyface at this time was so crazy to me. And uh, I just ended up rooting for him. He caught Muda with the spine buster, won the TV title. I thought that was amazing. And I think Iron and Sabisco versus Dustin and Steamboat is one of the best, most watchable tag matches of all time. If you ever go back and just watch it, the crowd was Absolutely. so hot for this. So, so, so here's the thing with here's the thing with Iron Anderson matches. And I'm sorry to interrupt you. No. The thing with Iron Anderson matches, and we've run into this with each one of the lists, is the simple fact that he was so good. Mm-hmm. that there's going to be so many spread out matches that it's going to be hard to pick into the top five. But go ahead. I think I think this War Games match is going to make the list. I don't. It's not going to win. I know you <laughs> don't like multi-man match, but I think enough people had it on their list that I'm going to put the War Games 92 on there. And I think uh, after we start looking at that, though, I, I, I don't know. Iron and Flair maybe has to make the list. I know Iron and Regal made multiples. I know Iron and Flair made multiples. Yeah. I'm going through this here right now. So, man, so many good lists. Uh, I think we're going to put Iron Flare. Uh, we'll do the War Games. And Nobody then... put um, Iron versus Masato Tanaka. I'm a little disappointed in that. <sighs> Sorry, that didn't happen. <laughs> and then, I don't know, man. Uh, let's just throw in Strike Force versus the Brain Buster. Oh, yeah. yeah that's a good one. That made it in a few times. Um, I think that shows a good, that's a good case in point of. Because we're looking at Iron's singles career with Flair. We're looking at the multi-person match, which Iron held those war games together. Yeah. And then we're looking at his tag team. But but I do want to mention something about that match. Here's the funny thing is that match, this gives you an idea as to the global scope of WrestleMania. That Ooh. match made multiple lists. The best tag matches that he probably ever had were actually them in the Midnight Expresses. From yeah. NWA from the with the Midnight Express. Yeah. Or even their matches with the Rock and Roll Express. Mm-hmm. And those matches did not make the list. Yeah. I thought the Rockers should have made a little more list. Yeah, honestly. that could have made more lists. Yeah. But but, but. nonetheless, I, I do think that that was such a big storyline at the time between the Brainbusters winning the titles and Strike Force going down the toilet. Mm-hmm. That it, it is a big storyline. I'm gonna boot them. I'm gonna boot them as number three though, because oh, I yeah. I think and we're gonna get down to this and AJ, I think, knowing how you feel, and I'm going to agree with you, and I said, we're not going to put it over as the main match. And I think we know when it gets down to that War Games 92, although it's an awesome match and the brutality, I think you start looking at importance. Iron Anderson's biggest win, 
almost like we did on another 5-3 re- one recently recorded. We're kind of going more with significance here. And I think if you look at the significance in his career, Iron beating Ric Flair is probably the biggest. Well, not even just with the career. significance. Um, the difference between them uh, is, is that the War Games match, while it was a hell of a match, it was, was a focus on all the individuals. Right. Whereas Iron versus Flair was a focus on Iron Anderson and basically a... I want to say an award for a career well done going over Ric Flair. And it was almost like it was funny because Flair was the uh, technically, I think, the baby face going into this. Yeah, he was. But they almost they build up the fact that Iron never got. But that if you away. remember, this match happens and then Flair goes and gets Sting to go after Pillman and and they turn Iron, on him. and then he turns on Sting in the very next match. They turn on him and they create. I think which was one of the if they had longevity, a horseman I would have really liked to seen more of Flair Iron, Pillman and Benoit. Absolutely. Unfortunately, Pillman had his demons. Uh, Benoit went much, much years later, but at that time. And it just it wasn't meant to be. But I thought they got those guys had great chemistry together with Pillman and Benoit almost being kind of the young renegades that you can't control. I, I actually like this Benoit better than I like future Benoit. Even though both of them are great wrestlers, I like him with a little less size on him and felt like his matches were actually a little bit better without the size. Mm-hmm. And I always remember that interview where Taskmaster is saying something to Pillman and Iron are talking and Pillman gets out like, that's right, we're the horsemen. We don't fear anybody. Iron Anderson just slaps him across the face yeah. and says, and you see Benoit staring a hole in iron. It was ah oh, man, it was good stuff yeah. back then. Nitro was just starting. So, all right, folks, you might disagree with us, but I think when you look at his career, and there's so many good matches too. I'm, I'm trying to take some of your votes too, but I mean, I love personally Iron versus Muda winning that TV title. I love that match him and uh, Steamboat, uh, or him and Sabisco versus Steamboat and Dustin. So many good matches. But in the end, we're gonna go with Iron versus Ric Flair Fall Brawl '95. You can disagree with us, but you're wrong. Woo! As they say, we're out. What's causing all this? All right, so that wraps us up for this week. Thank you again for listening to the Working Fans Podcast. So as always, you can find us on Twitter at Fans Working. Our Facebook page is Working Fans Wrestling Pod. We have email where you can reach out to us and let us know what you think also. That's WorkingFansWrestlingPod at gmail.com. Follow us on Instagram, WorkingFansWrestling underscore pod. And then as always, please continue to listen to us on Anchor. FM, Google Podcasts, Spotify, Breaker, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, all your major platforms. If you're following us on Apple Podcasts, which we are also on now, and YouTube, please make sure you subscribe and give us a five-star rating. It helps us bring you these podcasts where we get to talk to you and talk with you every week. 